Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here together today. I don't know if I can follow that or not. If you're a guest with us today, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team. I'm very glad you're with us today. And those of you who are worshiping with us online and in Lovington, and we're very glad as well. So uh, we'll, we'll look at Scripture in just a minute, but before we do that, this is such a busy season of the year that I, in addition to the stuff you've already brought, we brought to you via video, just a couple of things to remind you of. First of all, um, you may notice in your programs today, there was a sheet, there were a card about the uh, year-end giving plan that we have. You know, our congregation is a congregation that focuses on sending our resources into the community, into the world. And so um, you'll see that if you'd like to participate in that giving for the end of the year, you say, oh, I'd like to do something with generosity, um, then I want you to be where it goes to the Arts Academy, which is the way in which we teach kids around the community about how to use the arts in, in worship. And that's, you may have seen one of our young kids who's gone through the academy up on the keyboard today, um, or... Um, they're dancing. Some of them are ready already, and the little ones are already ready into it, you can tell. Or um, using culinary arts and fiber arts and painting and everything. It's all part of the Arts Academy. Our work at the Parsons Elementary School across the street, uh, that takes a lot of energy and a lot of dollars, and so we'll be using it there. And then also, as a congregation, we are always um, concerned that we have an impact globally. And um, for the most part, we, we focus that in Central Asia, in Kenya, and in Cuba. And so if you'd like to participate in that, we'd be very glad to have you join with us in that. And when it comes to global influence, Robbie and Jenny Lewis are here with us today. And Robbie and Jenny are on staff at Hillsong. Grew up in this church, but they're in Hillsong, London. Would you make sure you welcome them to worship with us today? It's like, it's like having my kids come home. It really is. They're involved in ministry over there. It's really good and uh, good stuff to have you guys home today. Something else when it comes to giving, um, uh, just remind you of where we stand with the mortgage. I haven't brought this to you in probably over a year. Uh, some four years ago, the indebtedness of the church was over $2.5 million. Thank you for your generosity in the Thrive campaign. We're now down. We've received a million dollars in the last four years. That's good news. On the quiet, one other matter, and that is... Um, a number of years ago, there were a group of young men um, that attended our church. Most of them attended our church. They were from Millican. And long story short, um, they came to know Christ and so forth and so on. And they formed an a cappella group called Chapter 6. And Chapter 6 became very well known across the country. Uh, they've headlined with all kinds of people. They traveled with Michael Buble and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they called, uh, with, long story short, they said, we'd like to do a reunion concert back in Decatur at Christmas time. Would you guys consider hosting it? So they're coming here December 20th. The, if you think about the how they'd say in, in terms of show, it's already almost half sold out or we're past halfway and we haven't let people know about it yet. This is just people who've heard they're coming to town. If you'd like to participate, make certain you get your tickets ahead of time or else, else there won't be enough room. It's all will call. So go out online and uh, look up chapter six. And then finally, we've already said it once today, but I just want to remind you, service times next weekend are different. What's different next weekend? Service service times. Don't get caught unawares, okay? So with that, let's take a look at Scripture today. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn to the, to, uh, the, the book of Romans. Romans is, oh, I don't know, five, eight, three quarters of the way through the Bible, almost toward the end. It's New Testament. And uh, while you're looking for Romans chapter 13, where we're going to be reading in a few minutes, I want to start by um, introducing you to a fellow by the name of Mike Anderson. Mike is uh, from Missouri. Uh, 
And back in 1999, as a young 22-year-old, uh, Mr. Anderson um, made a terrible error. I don't know all the details, but somehow or other, he ended up uh, holding up uh, a cashier at a Burger King and made off with $2,000, armed robbery. When he was caught by the authorities and went through trial, he was sentenced to 13 years in prison. After he got into prison, he appealed his uh, trial and his conviction, and the authorities said, yeah, we'll go through the appeal process, and they released him from prison on bond. He went home, went through the appeal process, and uh, lost. 13 years later, he, uh, the sentence came to an end. This is 2013. The Department of Corrections for, um, uh, authorities went to the prison in Missouri and said, we're going to release you, Mr. Anderson. However, once they got there, they couldn't find him. He wasn't in prison. They thought, has he escaped? Nope, nope. Here's what happened. As his appeal was making its way through the, pro through the process of the appeal, it became apparent that he was not going to win. And so he was expecting to be arrested. As a matter of fact, on the day that the appeal was closed and he was found, no, you're going to spend 13 years in prison, uh, he stayed at home expecting to be arrested. And the prosecuting attorney said to the judge, Mr. Anderson isn't here because we already arrested him this morning. He's in the county jail waiting to be sent to prison. However, they never showed up at the house. He called the attorney and said, um, I'm here you're looking for me. And they said, well, we'll be there. Called the next day. We'll be there. After a while, he stopped calling. They never came. For 13 years, they never came. And the meanwhile, when they realized he wasn't in prison, they thought he must have escaped and he must be some violent criminal. So they, at 6 a.m. in the morning, on the day they were going to invade his house and figure out why he hadn't been in prison, that he'd escaped. They, the SWAT team rammed open the door and he got out of bed and stood at the top of the stairs in his boxer shorts and said, I've been expecting you for a long time. They never showed up. In the meanwhile, he'd gotten married, started having a family, started a business. Everything was legal. He was paying his taxes all the way along, letting them know, I'm here, I'm here. And they kept forgetting to come get him. What do you think should happen now? Should he go back to prison? Well, we'll see. Here's an even better question. What should happen to the people who were in charge? <laughs> you all want them to go to prison, don't you? I can what should happen to them now? They fell asleep at the wheel, right? Here he is trying to live a normal upstanding life and stuck in this struggle because somebody else made some errors. Asleep at the wheel, not paying attention. That's the focus of our time together today. What we're doing today is we're starting an Advent ser sermon series. Um, you know, Advent is really uh, the time to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, but can I tell you, while many people think it's getting ready for Christmas, for Christmas Day, it's not really. In the official liturgical calendar of the church, Christmas actually begins December 25 and moves forward from there. The period leading up to Christmas is called Advent. And it's not really about, per se, the arrival of Jesus Christ as a baby. It's more so about Jesus' second coming. And so throughout Advent, you prepare for Christmas, but you more importantly, or as importantly, it's messed up in our culture. I know this. Santa gets in the way and all the trim. Regardless, however you want to say it, we're in a time of preparation. 
And so throughout the building uh, in this, in this uh, season, you're gonna see words, uh, you can see them on the stage behind me, like joy and adore. The word here about the presence of God being among us, Emmanuel, and about waiting for beyond, about what's it mean when we say we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna look at a passage of scripture today that focuses on preparation. It's out of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13. We'll begin in verse 11. It's not particularly a passage that you would normally hear preached in December. And because of that, and because it's not a Christmas passage, can I give you just a little bit of background to what's going on? The setting, if you will. Paul the Apostle is writing. Paul, um, if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, he is, we would say, the premier uh, theologian and author of the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus and the church and so forth. And, and um, as he's writing Romans, he's really at the height of his career. He uh, is uh, responsible for starting all sorts of churches around the Mediterranean basin. And we have all sorts of letters within the book of, within the New Testament where we see he wrote to the Philippians, he wrote to the Colossians, and, and, and these were churches that he started. But when it comes to the book of Romans, while he's writing this letter, he'd actually not started this church. He knows a few people in the congregation, but not everybody. And this is probably... 10 years at least before the gospels are written. We know that Mark is the first gospel that is written. So we're 20, 25 years out from Jesus' ascension into heaven. And the church is beginning to understand theology. And Romans is really his way of kind of bringing that all around. And it's a little bit more formal than some of his other letters for this reason, that he doesn't know the people there. Per se, a few people he knows their names. He may have met them, but he's not really familiar with that church. And to that end, then these people are very similar to you and me. First of all, like most of them in the church at Rome, they'd never met Paul face to face. We have not met Paul face to face. Secondly, uh, they live in a day and time when the message and ministry of Christians is often ridiculed and most people aren't thrilled if you're a Christian. Does that sound familiar? Where the message and ministry of Christianity is often ridiculed and if you say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to, uh, like that. So in many ways, as he's writing to, uh, writing to this book of Romans, we could very easily stick ourselves as the recipients of this letter. Read with me, beginning in verse 11. Do this. Understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What's that going on about? Well, we once we believed in Jesus Christ. We're followers of Jesus Christ, but there's a, what do you mean our salvation is coming? He's talking about the second coming of Jesus, that this, this mess of the world that we're in is gonna be done with and there's gonna be a, not our salvation of our souls, but if you will, the, the new world and the new heaven and the new earth, the things that we looked at last week, as a matter of fact. The night is nearly over. The period of waiting is nearly over. The day is almost here. And so in light of the fact of this coming of Jesus, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So live as if everybody can see what you're doing. You're not hiding under the cloak of darkness. Instead, in daylight, let's behave decently. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Instead of that, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
This language here is language of preparation. It's about waking up and paying attention. I'm sure what the Department of Corrections people in Missouri wish they'd done. We should have paid more attention. And Paul is saying, you've declared your faith in Jesus Christ. Great, but look out. Jesus' second coming is closer than you think. And your behavior should represent that joyous knowledge. And you're, you're not asleep at the wheel, are you? Now, I know he didn't say you're not asleep at the wheel. I mean, this is first century. He has no sense of driving a car. He has no sense of going down a highway at 35 miles an hour or 75 miles an hour. But you get the point. Don't fall asleep at the wrong moment, he's saying. Now, the Bible, when it speaks of sleeping, has both a positive viewpoint and a negative viewpoint. Obviously, here in Romans, it's a negative viewpoint. But there are places in Scripture where, hey, the ability to sleep is a good thing. As a matter of fact, can I tell you something that I've not said in the other services? Some people say to me, does it bother you when people fall asleep in church? I'll say, no, not really. Why not? Well, it's just because I have a soothing, calm voice and I just lull them to sleep. <laughs> No, I've come to this understanding after doing this a lot of years, that for some people to come to church and to sit quietly in a sermon for about 25 or 30 minutes, it's the only rest they get all week. If I could facilitate their sleep, I'm quite cool with that. <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> it, it, the Bible does say that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then sleep is a really good thing. It says, for example, in Psalm 127, that God grants sleep to those he loves. So if, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we... we, we we literally, we go to bed and we, we, we lay down and we're supposed to go to sleep. Sleep is one of the best gifts that God gives to those who follow him. But I'm aware that it doesn't always come along that way, right? The psalmist in, in, Psalm, verse, in Psalm chapter 4, when he's having this wonderful moment where he, he um, obviously is, everything is copacetic and life is really good. He says, I'll both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. He's in this moment where life is really sweet. And he's obviously not struggling with insomnia. And there are no pressures that are making him, you know, be horizontal in the dark and be staring at the ceiling and wondering what's going on. He's in this moment where, man, sleep is really sweet. And this gift of God is coming my way. But friends, sleep is also used within Scripture in ways that would say, hey, if you fall asleep at the wrong moment, it could be problematic. For example, in Judges chapter 4, there's a story of an evil king. His name is Sisera. And he's running from the, from the righteous people. And he, he goes to a woman and he, he says, I'm going to hide in your tent. And he kind of threatens her and says, you have to protect me. And he lays down and he goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, she takes a tent peg and a mallet and drives it through his temple and pins him to the ground. It makes for great reading in public worship settings like church. <laughs> It's probably why you might not have heard that story if you haven't paid attention to that. Or, or there's another story. Um, this is probably about 975, not quite a thousand years before Jesus was born. King Solomon, okay? Uh, Israel's third king, uh, very, very wise. And at the beginning of his reign, a situation develops that involves sleeping and it's tragic. Two women give birth to children. And we don't know, what, we don't know the story as to why, but one of the babies dies. And while the grieving mother is holding her dead baby, she, she plots an evil scheme. She goes to the other mother who is asleep with her baby and she trades out the babies. 
and presents the live one as her child and the dead one as the other woman's child. And she wants the king to make it as such. And uh, in both cases, King Sisera with his, I mean, King Sisera with the tent peg through his temple and the woman who loses her child as a result, she eventually gets it back, but loses her child. It's both the cases where they're asleep and they're not paying attention. And so when you get to Romans chapter 13, Paul is issuing a challenge to his readers. He's saying, hey, Jesus is coming. And you've already made a decision to follow him. And surely your fervor hasn't grown cold. He's saying, come on, wake up. Don't miss what's going on around you. You should be joyously looking to the sky and waiting. And he's doing this, Paul is saying this, particularly in light of your culture. Particularly in light of what's going on around you, you should be looking for the second coming of Jesus. He says, do this understanding the present time. The hour hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. He's saying, in light of the culture, wake up. And perhaps you're aware that our 21st century and the first century, the settings that those people lived in is remarkably similar to our setting, perhaps more so than any other time in history. I mean, I know that we have things they didn't have. We have science that's brought us planes and trains and automobiles and phones and ovens and computers and washing machines and electricity and pavement and printing presses and so forth. We've got a lot of things that are not found in the first century. But read again in verse 12 about what their culture was like and see if it's similar to ours. Let's put aside the deeds of darkness put on the armor of light and let's behave decently as in the daytime because here's what their culture is like. Not in carousing and drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension and jealousy. I've got a question. Do any of those behaviors sound familiar to our time? Apparently, we're not so advanced after all. And Paul is concerned. He's concerned that these Roman Christ followers, they might have grown sleepy in their walk with Christ, if you will, copying and emulating the culture's behavior around them. And he said, you know, if you do that, it's really bad form. It's a bad approach to life. It's a bad approach to your Christian faith. It'd be like like if I came into... uh, worship today, to stand on this stage and bring the word of God to you, and I was half asleep dressed in my pajamas. Wouldn't you go, we don't want to even look. This is not right. This isn't good. That's bad form, pastor. That's, it's inappropriate. As a matter of fact, when we, when we look, that's downright embarrassing for you and for us. falling asleep in your walk with Christ. Some of you are still smiling, imagining that. Please stop doing that. <laughs> falling asleep with your, in your walk with Christ. Friends, it's bad form. It's tacky. It's even embarrassing. Instead of the proverbial spiritual pajamas, what are we supposed to wear? It says in verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop thinking about how to gratify the desires of flesh. How do you clothe yourself in Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Well, frankly, it's quite simple. It's it's simple to answer. It's a little more difficult to walk out. But it's to live like Jesus Christ. 
and to live like he's coming back tomorrow. Maybe I could explain it this way. We know that well, back in Genesis 3, there's a prediction that Jesus is going to come. You have all other kinds of predictions, particularly some around five to 600 years before Jesus' arrival comes along. There's all kinds of scriptures that say Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, and then he shows up. We, rem- we recognize that and remember that on de- December 25th. And so you have this track record of Jesus showing up. And based on that, we say, based on that good track record, we can, we can see what the future holds. And so the way in which prophecy was used to say Jesus was coming six, 700 years before he showed up, and the, the same or similar prophets would say he's also coming again. Well, we have two arrivals of Jesus then. One that's already occurred and one that is yet to come. In Jesus' first arrival, how did he come? He came as a baby, as a child. He came with a plan. The plan was that he was going to go to the cross, he was going to die, and then he was going to rise again. But that was the plan. And the result is, if you will, that this helpless baby came called Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. Think about this. He didn't show up as a 30-year-old fellow, fully developed and ready to take on life, in the prime of his physicality. No, no. Jesus showed up as a newborn baby. Newborns can't turn over. They can't feed themselves. You can put a spoon in their hand. They can't even hold it. We marvel when a newborn will hold our finger, right? We go, look, she's holding my finger. We go, that's remarkable. A helpless baby showed up as God in the flesh in the arms of an unmarried teenage girl. Talk about humanity in its rawness. Talk about humanity at its most delicate moment. That's Jesus' first arrival. But friends, based on the track record of his first coming, there's a second time he's coming again, but this time he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as the risen Savior. And instead of this child, as say, after grown and learn, this time he's coming as a king. He's going to come, that's the plan, is to come as the king of all creation from beginning to end, of all humanity from beginning to end. And he's not coming to die, but instead his death in in the first arrival was once and for all, for all. He conquered sin and death for all who accept his work. And this time he's coming to rule. That's the plan. And when he rules, we'll see him in a new light. Instead of helplessness, what will we see? will see his all-knowing ability. He will know everything. You know, when he came to earth, he limited what he could know. A little baby knows very little other than to breathe and to suckle. That's about it. But this time when he comes, he's coming back as all-knowing and he's also coming back fully omnipotent, full of great power. He won't be a helpless baby. Instead, this all-powerful God is able to throw death and disease and evil to the pit of hell, binding those curses that are the enemies of God's saints and binding them forever. And at that moment, the full story of Scripture will be complete. And I trust that you're not asleep, simply accepting and emulating our culture's behavior. The question is this, do people recognize Christ in you? Oh, I know, we're anxious for the joyous celebration of Jesus' first arrival. We're going to remember and celebrate 
on December 25th, we're going to say, hey, it was great. I can hardly wait. You know, <laughs> we have some rule. Our, our family has grown in recent years. You all know that both our kids got married and they have kids. We have three grandbabies, all of them three years old. Twins and a little girl. Twin boys and a little girl. And um, they're, they're all coming home. Ben and his wife live here in town. Jacqueline and her family and her husband live in Rochester, New York. But everybody's going and in town. They're going to come to our house on December 25th. And I can hardly wait. You know why? I not only want to see the kids, their expressions for what we bought them, I want to see their parents. They're going to kill us. <laughs> they're, they're, it's going to be so great. I can hardly wait. Uh, you're like me. You've got this anticipation. What is going to happen on December 25th? And how sweet is it going to be? Yes. I'm looking forward to gathering on the Christmas services that weekend and holding candles up high and singing Silent Night, Holy Night. But are you even more joyous about the day coming when you see the conquering King, our conquering Savior, face to face? Because you know what happens then? As the great Westminster Confession says, that the chief end of humanity, the goal of all humanity, is to worship God and to enjoy Him forever. You know what you get to do at the coming of Jesus Christ the second time? We get to enjoy God and worship Him forever. I, I have no idea all the implications of that, but I'm ready to take it on. See, what are you looking forward to, friends? A Christmas gathering or the second coming? Both bring joy. One is family and friends and sweetness and lovely. And the other is meeting God face to face. The first one is great. The first one brought us redemption and salvation. The second one brings us the glories of heaven. Maybe, maybe I could help you understand it this way. I want you to take a look at this video. It's an animation of if you go outside and look at a blue sky today, this is what you can see, okay? So you stare at the blue sky for a little while and you're gonna see white dots, okay? Now those white dots are not UFOs traveling around back and forth around the, the sky. No, here's, here, here's how this works, okay? So today, after the service, go outside, look up at the blue sky and see if that works for you. Get those blue dots, okay? Kind of wiggling all around the sky. You've never looked for them before, but they're there. You know what they are? Well, here's a diagram of your eye. You can see where the retina is in your eye, and in, in front of your retina are a bunch of capillaries, tiny, tiny little veins that crisscross your, the retina in your eye. And they are so tiny that, that their job is to carry blood across your retina and to keep your retina healthy. And those capillaries are so tiny that the blood cells, as they move through those capillaries, the blood cells have to slow down and go in single file. They go single file through each of those capillaries. And... Um, your brain doesn't even see them. I mean, you don't see them, but your brain does and makes adjustments for them. Because um, the brain goes, well, I want everything to be red. And so it just changes the color for you. But here's an interesting thing is that our, our blood is made up of 90% red cells and 10% white cells. So what happens as those blood cells are passing past your retina in each of the capillaries, it goes red, 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 white. Red, 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 white. It goes nine to one, red cells, one white cell. And did you know your brain is sharp enough that it makes adjustments?
for all those white cells as they go past. Here comes red, 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 red. Oh, here's a white one, change again. Red, 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 white. If you go outside and look at a blue sky today, you'll be able to see it. And you don't even know what's happening, right? Your brain is adapting for the different colored blood cells passing in front of your eyes. It's in front of you, but you don't even know it. You know what it's called? It's called blue field entoptic phenomena. And it's right in front of your eyes, literally. And you don't even know. You're completely unaware. Don't even know that you're looking at it. Paul says to the Romans, wake up, pay attention to the behavior of the culture around you and don't participate in what dishonors God or even dishonors you. Apparently, they were moving to the point of being blind. They were accepting all of that. And they can say, oh, this is just normal. Red, 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 white. And not even saying, hey, this behavior is not what God wants me to participate in. They failed to pay attention. Like the guys in Missouri. What's going to happen to Mike Anderson? They arrive at the doorstep 6 a.m. in the morning in 2013, say, you're not in prison. I know I'm not in prison. I've been trying to tell you I'm not in prison. Stand there in my boxer shorts. Stand here in his boxer shorts. He's going, I've been waiting for you. He went back to prison. But the legal system go, we've messed this up. What, are we, what do you think they did? The prosecuting attorney said, you know what? We've messed this up so badly, enough is enough. And so Anderson was released to his joyous family. And imagine their joy once the trauma and all of its implications were complete. He came home. Friend, wake up to the soon coming second arrival of Jesus Christ. Find joy absolutely in the celebration of his birth of some 2,000 years ago, absolutely. But I'd suggest you look up to the sky. Scripture says to look up, to look up to the sky for our redemption is nigh. Our redemption is almost here. The coming of Jesus is almost here. And friend, we live our lives accordingly. Not in the dark, but in the light. Let's pray together. Father, we would acknowledge that there are moments in our lives when, man, we just mess up. We want to live one way and we end up living in a different way and the culture influences us. And God, there's great things within the culture. There's joy and laughter and merriment and all of that is good. But there are also things, God, within the culture that, well, they don't honor you and they don't honor us. Lord God, forgive us for the times when things are right in front of our eyes and we accept it as normal. Lord, it's not a case that we want to hold placards up or wear sandwich boards and say, sin, 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 sin. No, that's not it, God. More so, we want to clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ and in his behavior so that others would see Jesus within us. Lord, I pray that all people here today, everybody watching online, participating in Lovington, Lord, that all people would know the reality of their day they first believed and that, Lord, you'd help some today to step across the line of faith and say, hey, this December, I'm declaring myself a Christian and relying on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, for all of us, 
we await with great joy, based on the track record of the past, with great joy we anticipate, God, the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.